Well, I don't know about you guys, but I, I don't really like stereotypes. In fact, there's a whole song about stereotypes that have to do with a generation that I think some of you may be on the tail end of, while most of you are Gen Zers out here. Uh, there's the millennials too, right? And there's a song by an artist named Peabod called Shoot from the Hip that's all about uh, millennials. And it's actually a, a pretty amusing song. And he gets to the end of it. And one of the lines at the end is, when did we start any world wars? Is his justification for millennials. Hey, look, we may be bad in all these ways that you guys want to tell us we're bad, but we've never started any world wars. We don't have any Hitlers that are popping up out of our generation. And so he's trying to justify it because we don't like stereotypes. We don't like to be grouped in with, uh, with the, the masses and just painted with a, a broad brush. You think of some other stereotypes Growing up, maybe some of you guys remember from high school, the jocks. And so you can think of the, the jocks. Maybe some of you guys were jocks in high school. I wasn't. I uh, rode the bench in soccer for four years and almost let her doing it. So there you go. Um, but you think of that stereotype. You think of the, the jock and, and what that guy was typically like. Or you think of the nerds and the dorks in, in high school. And you think what they were kind of like. And you're like, that was me. And I, I was definitely more uh, in, in tune with them than I was with the jocks. Or you think of reputations that maybe some states have, like California. I remember when I was growing up, my grandmother literally thought California was sinking into the ocean because of the earthquakes, that it was going to be gone by the time I was like 20, that she used to tell me California is not going to be there. I'm thankful it's still here, but people don't know us. They don't know anything about California. They've never been out here and they've got their stereotypes about who we are. Stereotypes, they're hard because there's some things that are true about them. And because there's some things that are true about them, they spread like wildfire. People think one thing and they go, well, yeah, I've, I've experienced that. That's true. I've, I've known that to, to be what it's like there or what that type of person is like. And so they just assume that everyone is just like that or that everything about that subject or that issue is the same way. Well, you guys are currently in the midst of a, a period of life that this culture and this world wants to paint with a broad brush. This idea of being college students, this idea of being in that time frame, that age range from 18 to 24, 25, you're in a time period where people don't expect a lot of you. They have an idea that you're kind of in a holding pattern right now, that you're underqualified, that you're not ready yet for the real world. So go and sit in classrooms and go and get educated, go and get your degrees, go and, and, and get ready so that then you can be a contributing member of society. And they paint with a broad brush and they look at you and they say, well, you're still young and so we're not expecting much of you. You add to that what the world thinks about the, the millennials and the idea of entitlement and that they don't work hard and that they think they know better than every generation that's come before them and you guys are, are fighting an uphill battle. But when we believe stereotypes, when we buy into stereotypes, specifically when we buy into this stereotype about this age range where y'all are at, this, this time frame of life, being students, being college students, when you buy into that idea that, man, there's not a lot expected of me right now. I can kind of kick it into neutral until I grow up, until I graduate, until I get married, until I have kids. There's not a lot expected of me, and I'm going to rest in that idea. If you buy into that, not only are you buying into something that I don't think is, is right, but you're also buying into something that's just flat out not biblical. See, as Paul was writing to Timothy, Paul was writing to Timothy as a young man. And he was writing to Timothy, even though he was considered young for his age, yeah, he was still about 10 years older than you were, but in that culture and in that time frame, he would have been looked at just the same way that so much of our world looks at y'all. That he didn't have as much to bring to the table because of his age, because of his lack of experience, because he wasn't Paul. And Paul's writing to Timothy, and what Paul's going to say to Timothy, a verse that so many of you have probably heard if you've grown up around the church, 
is he's going to tell Timothy, look, this stereotype about youth that exists out there. He's going to say, don't buy in to the stereotype, Timothy. Don't be the stereotype, Timothy. This world wants to force you into a mold, Timothy. Here's what I want you to do, Timothy. I want you to break the mold. I want you to be different. I want you to step outside of the lines of the stereotype. And I want you to be bold in your relationship with Christ. When you think about Paul and Timothy, they had a close relationship. Timothy's grandmother was most likely instrumental in leading him to salvation, but Paul was Timothy's discipler. He was the one that brought him alongside him in ministry and took him with him on these mission trips that he would go on. And they would go together and Timothy would serve with him and Timothy would be his right-hand man. But now Paul was leaving Timothy with a pretty enormous task. If you open up to chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, as Paul is writing to his young protege, he's writing to him there in Ephesus. And he says there in verse 3, he says, Look, as I urged you, when I was going to Macedonia, remain, stay there, Timothy. Stay at Ephesus. Why? So that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge, Timothy, is a love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they may make confident assertions. So Paul's looking at Timothy, who he's left there at, at Ephesus, the same city where the Ephesian church was, where the letter to the Ephesians was written to. And Paul's saying, Timothy, there's problems in the church. And Timothy, you're the guy that I want to fix those problems in the church. There's people that are teaching things that don't line up with scripture. There's people that just want to argue about stuff that doesn't matter. And so Timothy, I want you to stay there and put things in order. Again, for Timothy, that's a tall task. For a guy that the world was looking at going, man, you're still too young. You don't have the experience. You don't have the gray hair that Paul has. You don't have the, the resume that Paul does. You don't have the, the, the litmus test. You haven't, you haven't measured up the way that Paul has. So what do you have to offer us? And Paul's looking at Timothy saying, Timothy, this is your job. And he starts in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. He says, let no one despise you for your youth. Stop right there. That's a strong word that he uses there, isn't it? Despise you. I don't know if you've ever told anybody, hey, I despise you. It's a strong animosity towards somebody. It's thinking, man, you're worthless to me. What do you have to, to bring to, to my life? You've got nothing that I need. I have absolutely no use for you. Paying no regard to somebody, ignoring somebody. You've got no value to contribute to anything. And though it seems strong, that's what this older generation can sometimes believe about the, the younger generations. They can look down their nose and think, well, just because you guys haven't gotten through college yet, because you haven't gotten married yet, because you haven't settled down yet, because you haven't experienced as much of life as maybe some of the older people have, that somehow that you guys don't have as much to offer as they do. And one of the most detrimental things to the church is if you guys buy into that, if you believe that. Just like for Paul, one of the most detrimental things to the church in Ephesus would have been if Timothy had said, you know what, Paul, I can't do this. They're not going to listen to me. They're not going to respect me. They're not going to hear what I have to say. Instead of Timothy looking at Paul and hearing what Paul had to say and say, okay, I'm, I'm all in. I'm all in. See, we can't accept stereotypes because so often stereotypes, though there may be something true about them, they're just ultimately, they're, they're, they're foundless. 
they hold no weight when you examine them more closely. Growing up in Texas, being from Texas, I tell people that, and the, the, the people who have never been to Texas, they're my favorite to talk to about that because they automatically assume that I have cowboy boots and that I own a horse at some point in time in my life without failure. So, you grew up, you, so did you ever ride horses? No. Have you ever been to Dallas? Shopping is the number one tourist attraction in Dallas. It's not much different than LA, except it doesn't have a giant ocean right next to it. And so people have this stereotypes about Texas. Well, are there parts of Texas that have horses and cows and things? Yes, there are. Are there cowboys in Texas? Yes, there are. But that doesn't mean that everybody there is. And so stereotypes, again, when we begin to hold them up to the light and really examine them more closely, they don't often hold the same amount of weight that they do on the surface. And when we believe them, when we just take them at face value, when you guys say, you know what, the, the, the people that think I'm too young to contribute are right. I'm just going to wait until I get older and then I'm going to have a role. Then I'm going to start serving. Then I'm going to start getting engaged. Then I'm going to start taking my faith seriously. When you believe that, it's not only not helpful, but again, it's, it's not biblical for you. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you were with us on our faithfulness retreat, we covered this text. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7, he says, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties, different kinds of service, different ways people are going to serve in the church, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Where's the age requirement in 1 Timothy 4, or 1 Timothy 12, 4 through 7 there? Where is it? It's not there. What's the deciding factor of whether or not you have something to contribute to the church? What, what measures up? What makes you qualified to contribute to the church? According to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The Spirit. And the Spirit belongs to those who are in Christ. Those who have been saved. Right? So if you are saved, God has indwelt you with the Spirit. And 1 Corinthians 12, 7 makes it clear that he's given you a gift. Why? To be used for the common good. The common good of who? The church. There is no age requirement there. If you are saved, you are qualified, you are ready, you are equipped to use your gift that the Lord has given you to, to, to serve the body of Christ. You have something to bring to the table. You have as much to bring to the table as any other believer in the church has to bring to the table because you have the same spirit dwelling within you. And that's what qualifies us. That's what makes us somebody that God can use in service to the church. It has nothing to do with your age or how many gray hairs you have or how long you've been a Christian. It has everything to do with who's dwelling in you and that's the Holy Spirit. That's God himself who's equipping you to do that. So when the older generations patronize you or when they look down at you or when they relegate your age to somebody that's just gonna be more of a consumer than a contributor, they're arguing against what God's word clearly teaches. And that is that there's no such thing as a spiritual sideline where we sit and wait our turn until the starter goes down and we get to go in and play our part. From the word go, we need to be contributing. It's point number one for you tonight. You can write it down like this. Be a contributor and not a consumer. Be a contributor and not a consumer. As we're looking to break the mold, as we're looking to, to not buy into the stereotype, not to be the stereotype of this person that's young and that the world is going to look at, that the church is going to look at and go, you know what? you just, right now, you need to sit on the sideline and, and wait and then grow and mature and get older and then you can contribute. As we're looking to break out of that, the first thing that we need to have as our mindset is I need to contribute and not simply consume. 
Let no one despise you for your youthfulness. How do I do that, Paul? Get in the game. Start serving. Start showing the people around you how much they need you, how much you bring to the table. I'm sure we've all had that, that friend, right, who when it comes time to get in the car and drive somewhere or when it comes time to, to go out to dinner, they, they just conveniently don't have their wallet with them, right? Or the, it's time to, to drive somewhere and they're like, oh, are, are you driving again? Because I left my keys back in, it's all the way, they're over there. It's a lot, I could trip and fall, man. What, you got your keys on, you can drive, you can drive. I'll hit you up for gas next time. But there is never a next time because next time they've left their keys or their car's a flat tire, the mooch, right? The person that's always taking and, and you're just kind of looking at them and, and the first few times it's like, okay, whatever. Yeah, we're, we're gonna give because we're called to give. But then after a while, you're like, are you serious? Like you've, you've never driven. I've never even seen you reach for your wallet for me to be able to be like, no, dude, it's okay, I've got this one. And so nobody wants to be that, but so often we're like that in the church. We're mooching off of everybody else in the church. We're here riding on the coattails of the servants in the church, but we're not actually getting in the game and, and serving the church. And that's what Paul's arguing against here for us. Timothy had a massive role. Timothy, you've got to stand up. You've got to correct false teaching. You've got to correct people that are doing things that are, are wrong, Timothy. Verse 7, he says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. In other words, there's people there that are, that are doing that. Rather, Timothy, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil, Timothy, we work, we labor, we strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things, Timothy. Let no one despise you for your youth. So Paul had this tall task for Timothy, and we need to answer it as well. So what does that look like? How can I contribute and make sure that I'm not just consuming? Well, we have a saying here at, at Compass, something that sets you apart as what we call a highly committed participant, is we want you to be attending, connecting, and serving. Attend, connect, serve. And so what does attending look like? Well, you're here on Sunday night, right? That's, that's part of it. Let me emphasize, that's part of it. Pastor Mike is the main course. So for you guys to really say, hey, I'm attending. Compass Bible Church is my home church. It's my local church. That means being here on Saturday night or being here at one of our two services Sunday morning, nine o'clock or 11 o'clock. It means sitting under the teaching of your senior pastor, your, your chief shepherd, your chief shepherd under Christ, that is, who's there to feed you week in and week out, to be part of the body of Christ at large, not just us sitting in this room, but everybody who gathers together, everybody else who says, yeah, Compass Bible Church is my home church. And so it starts by saying, I'm going to contribute, but I'm going to show up because you guys have something to offer. By being in the room, by singing alongside of your brothers and sisters in Christ, you are contributing to the overall experience of worshiping God. And that's something that is good. That's something that we want to see. That's something that we need to be doing, attending. The next thing is connecting. Connecting. That's having that, that group that's not the, the big group that you sit in the worship center with, not even the big group that you sit in this group with but it's a smaller group that you have a relationship with, that you have a, a, a weekly, daily relationship with, 
that you're texting, that you're calling, that you're hanging out with, that you have small group time with, where you're going through the sermons or you're praying together or you're studying together, whatever it is. It's, it's that group, that band of brothers or sisters that you have, that those are the ones that if life gets hard, those are the ones you know you're going to turn to right away. And if life gets hard for them, you're there for them to turn to. And so you're contributing by being a part of a, a community like that and getting drilling down even deeper to that level. And then serving, serving. The challenge was issued at our faithfulness retreat this past year for you guys to, to start serving. That if you're not signed up to serve anywhere in the church, that you, you go on our website and you, you go under that tab, that service tab to that page, and you find a ministry to plug into and get connected. For you guys, you're at that age range where you've got plenty of, of opportunities this summer to serve the church. We've got revival coming up for junior high and high school. We've got Camp Compass going on. We've got other summer camps for our kids going on all summer long. And I guarantee you there are ways that you can plug in and you can serve and you can, again, contribute and not just consume and begin to break out of that mold that the world and that our church, so many people want to put you in because you would say, well, I'm a college student. Praying, giving. There's another area another way that you can begin to contribute and not just to consume. And here's a, a point that I want you to, to consider as an, an action call. And that is if you have not yet been through partners, our discipleship program, go through partners with somebody. All of your leaders, I know because I checked in with them this week, every single one of the leaders in this room have been through partners and they are qualified to take you through partners. So if you've not been through that program, it's 10 weeks. It's an intensive discipleship program. Go through partners with them. It's going to stretch you. It's going to grow you. It's going to call you to action. It's going to challenge you in a good way. And it's going to set you on the path to really making sure that you are a contributor and not just a consumer. Again, don't buy the stereotype. Let no one despise you for your youth. But then he goes on and he says next, not just that, but set believers an example. Set believers an example. Everybody grows up following the examples of others in different forms, different fashions, right? You've got parents, that set an example for you, that you've followed them in. You've got teachers that set an example for you as they're teaching you. When you follow, you do things the way that they lay out for you, the way that they model for you. You've got coaches, you've got friends. And then we've even got celebrities, right? That we want to be like celebrities, so they wear those shoes, so I'm going to wear those shoes. They drive that car, man, I hope one day I can drive that car. They're an example to us that we want to follow after. And that's what example means in the context there. It's a, a model or a copy of something. It's to leave an imprint that something else follows after and informs itself to. And so as you think about growing up, maybe you had a coach or maybe you played piano. How many of the room played piano growing up? So you had a, a piano instructor at one point that played the notes before you and then said, do it this way. And then you came behind them and you tried to do it the same way that they did it. It's, it's that modeling after somebody who goes before you. That's the same thing when it comes to this idea of being an example for others. But you've done this spiritually too, haven't you? At least I hope you have. You've had pastors or you've had spiritual mentors or disciplers in your life that you've looked up to that have been godly men or godly women that you've said, I, I want to be like that person when I grow up. I want to do things the way that they do. I want to have the same love for the Lord that they have. And so when I see them doing something, when I see their time in the word, when I see the way that they pray, when I see the way that they evangelize to that person, that's what I want to do. I want to be like that person. And that's what Paul is calling Timothy to. So you remember before this time, Paul had always been Timothy's mentor. Timothy always had Paul to look up to. Timothy was there, but he was riding alongside Paul. Paul was the one that was blazing the trail. 
Paul was the one setting the tone, setting the example. And now Paul's writing to Timothy saying, Timothy, you've got a job to do in Ephesus. And now, Timothy, you're the one that needs to be an example. Not just for people younger than you, Timothy, but you need to be an example to the believers. Notice the, the, the breadth of that category there. All of the believers that are there in Ephesus, Timothy, you be the example. You rise to the top. You be the, the, the one that they need to model, that they need to follow after, that they need to look at you and go, I want to be like Timothy is. It's time for us to answer that call too, for y'all to answer that call as well. It's point number two for you tonight. You can write it down like this. Become a pace setter for someone else. Become a pace setter for someone else. How many of y'all grew up going to a, a summer camp that you loved? Like you went back to the same one every single summer. How many of you wanted to be a counselor at that summer camp at some point in time? Yeah, I was there. I went to a, a camp in East Texas called Pine Cove. And I remember going there in high school and being like, I, I want to come back as a counselor. But then at the same time, I loved being a camper there too. But when you graduate high school and you try to show up again as a junior or senior in college to be a camper there, they're going to call the police and they're going to have you arrested and escorted off the site, right? Why? Because it's not time for you to be a camper anymore. If you still want to be involved, it's time for you to step into the role of being a counselor. It's not time for you to be a consumer. It's not time for you to show up and, and enjoy all the fun and, and be the, the little kid anymore. Now it's time for you to turn around and invest in those kids. It's time for you to turn around and invest in those students and be the leader, be the counselor. There's a shift. There's a role change there. And so as, as y'all are now in this life stage, this college life stage, it's a, a time to, to look at and to, to push back from the table and go, okay, there's a shift that's taking place. It's time for me now to realize that I need to be a pace setter for somebody else. I need to now be a leader and lead others, be an example to others. Paul wrote this in Philippians chapter 3, 17 through 19. He said, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. So Paul's contrasting two things there. He says, hey, look, I want you guys to follow us. He says, follow me, follow people like me. Follow people that are, are being faithful to God because there's another group as well. There's a, a group who are making a destruction of their faith. There's a group whose God is their belly, whose appetites rule them. He says, don't follow them. He's, he's holding out these two options to the Philippian church there saying you have a couple of options of which example you're going to follow. You can either follow the example of those that are godly or those that are ungodly. But now Paul's looking at Timothy saying it's not time for you to choose whose example you're going to follow Timothy. It's time for you to be the example. For you guys in this room y'all are all examples whether you realize it or not. There are people who are watching you whether you realize it or not. True North students look at this group and they look up to you guys. I say, man, wow, they're in college. I knew them when they were here, but now they've graduated. They're in college. They're, that's so cool. I can't wait till I get there. And they're going to watch you, and they're going to say, what does their life look like? What does their devotion to the Lord look like? How are they serving the church? Are they serving the church? Are they prioritizing being involved, being here, being at the church? Man, when I talk to them, what are they talking about? Are they talking about the word? Are they... Are they asking me how my prayer life is? Are they asking me how my time in the word is? They're watching, they're learning, they're, 
they're following an example that you're going to set, whether you realize you're setting the example or not. Same thing with the narrow. I know a lot of y'all in this room serve in the narrow. You've got junior hires in there. Man, to them, you're like Adonises, right? You're like, you're like Greek gods and goddesses. They're looking at y'all like, whoa, I cannot believe that they're in college and they're hanging out with me. This is the coolest thing in the world. But again, you're setting an example. What's your example look like? Are you serving in the narrow with intentionality? Are you serving in the narrow going, man, I'm gonna go after those students and I'm gonna really challenge them. I'm gonna encourage them. I'm gonna live in such a way with them that I want them to look at me. And if they say, hey, I wanna follow that example, then I wanna be able to say, yeah, I'm good with that because then you'll be following Christ. So you've got people that are watching you. Some of your family members are looking at you. Some of you with unbelieving family members. They look at you as believers and they go, okay, I'm gonna watch what you do. And some of you may say, well, yeah, but they're just watching me to see if I screw up. Okay, great, but they're still watching you. So what sort of example are you leaving for them? Your coworkers, same thing. And then there's some in this room that look up to others in this room and say, man, I I respect that person. I wanna be like her, I wanna be like him. So you are an example already, whether you realize it or not. And so the question is, how are you setting that pace? What kind of pace are you setting? What does that look like? Let me give you a couple suggestions. Number one, you guys have to be in the word consistently. Consistently. Daily, yes. And and let me challenge you, more than the DBR. Be saturating yourself with the word of God. If you're just not in God's word right now, then start with the DBR. That's great. I'm not saying that, that that's not good enough. I'm just saying I want you to desire even more than that. Be in the word. Encourage others to be reading. I know some of you have leaders in this room who text you during the week to encourage you to be doing the DBR. Let me challenge you this week. Don't wait for that text. You text the leaders. I want my leaders to come back to me and go, man, they're putting me to shame because they're texting me before I'm even out of bed in the morning and going, hey, did you do your DBR yet? Text them, challenge them. Be the example even to your leaders in this room with that regard. Second, prayer. Ask each other, hey, how can I be praying for you? If you guys are, are together, you're talking to each other, you're hanging out together, you're even beforehand, afterwards at Ridgecrest, whatever, what, when we're just spending time together, as you realize that somebody, maybe, maybe they're going through just a, a rough patch and they're talking to you about that, then pray for them right there. Go, hey, can I, can I pray for you right now? Or say, hey, that, that sounds like you could use some prayer about that. What can I pray specifically for you on that? And be intentional to do that. Later on, when you do pray for them, send them a text or an email to say, hey, I was praying for you. Just wanted to let you know that. Just wanted to encourage you to let you know that I was, I was lifting you up before the Lord right now. Pray for others. Set that example. Uh, another way, don't let sin slide in each other's life. Paul writes in Galatians chapter six, he says, look, if anyone is caught in a trespass, he says, you who are spiritual, restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. In other words, if you see somebody in sin, you guys need to come alongside them and, and call that out and say, hey, brother, sister, look, that's, that's not right. The, what you just said, the, the way that you just re- responded there, that anger that I just saw in you, the, the words that you just spoke, like, hey, that, that's, I just... I love you too much to let that go. That's not right. And do that with gentleness. My son Joshua called me out this week. That's humiliating, by the way, for your 10-year-old. But I loved it too. We've been working with him on G's and gosh, right? Because what do those words really stand for when we say that? 
Jesus and God, right? So we may say, well, I'm not taking the Lord's name in vain, but we may have, you know, be littering our, our speech with those things. And so at one point this week, I said geez to something, not like in anger or anything else like that, but I think it was a golf shot on the U.S. Open or something. I was like, wow, geez, look at that shot. And he immediately jumped on me. He was like, dad, you said geez. And I had to be like, dude, Josh, you're right, man. You nailed me. I asked for his forgiveness, asked for forgiveness from the Lord. So, but it's, it's, it's like that, right? We need those types of relationships in our life. Be that type of person in one another's life. And, and set that example. Again, there's no age requirements for this stuff. You guys are believers. You're equipped. You're ready to do this. The world wants to say, hey, you're, you don't need to do anything right now. Just get ready to do something eventually. And I'm saying, no, do something now. Be involved like this now. So the challenge here on this point is I want you to seek out at least three people this week that you can pray for. At least three people this week that you can pray for. And pray for them intentionally. Send them a text message. Call them, email them, whatever this week. And let them know, hey, I was, I was praying for you. And start to develop that pattern so that others will look at you and go, man, I, I want to rise to that challenge. This can seem a little bit self-serving though, can't it? To say, man, I want to be an example. I want other people to follow me. Hey, imitate me, right? It seems like, whoa, slow your roll a little bit. Aren't we supposed to have humility in all this? And, and I would say yes. But remember, Paul so often told others to imitate him. And you're like, well, you're not Paul. Yeah, I agree. I'm not Paul. Far from him. But why did Paul want people to imitate him? Because he was imitating Christ. And that's what we've got to keep in mind with all this, guys. As you guys are not being despised for your youthfulness, because, hey, you know what? I'm going to be a contributor, not a consumer. And as you guys are saying, man, I'm going to be such a contributor that people are going to look at me and they're going to see an example that they want to follow. And I'm going to look at other people and be like, hey, imitate me. The reason is, is because you are imitating Christ. And that's why we can say to others, follow me. Paul writes this in 1 Thess 1, 6 through 7. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 7. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. They became an example to all the believers because they were imitating Paul and the other leaders, and more importantly, they were imitating Jesus, the Lord. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1 Corinthians 11.1. Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Hey, if you see things in me that aren't like Christ, don't imitate those things. But as much as you see in me that is like Jesus, follow that. Imitate that. So as we set out to provide an example for others, we need to make sure that if they follow our lead, they're going to be following Christ. Paul does this by instructing Timothy the type of example he's supposed to be. Set believers an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. They're, they're pretty straightforward categories, but they're categories that have to do with our walk with Christ. Our final point this, this evening is this. You can write it down like this, point number three. Build your example on personal devotion. Build your example on personal devotion. The thing that's going to make you an effective leader, an effective example to others, is an effective devotional life with Christ. Devotional relationship with God. 
a relationship that impacts your whole life. And so Paul throws out these categories. He's like, hey, Timothy, yeah, other people may think you're young, but I still want you to be an example. And here's the categories I want you to be an example in. Your speech, the things that you say. Ephesians chapter four, verse 29. Ephesians four twenty-nine. let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Whoa, okay, so... Be an example to others in the way that you speak. Make sure that everything that comes out of your mouth is going to build somebody up. That it's going to give grace to those who hear. Jesus adds weight to this, Matthew 12, 36, when he says that every careless word that we speak, we will be called to account for someday. Just like my son was on me right away. Man, any, any careless word that comes out of my mouth, ultimately I'm going to have to give an answer before the Lord to those things. So Paul's telling Timothy, look, set an example in your speech. Make the things that you talk about, things about the Lord. When you're talking to one another, have that conversation be something that's gonna spur somebody else onto Christ-likeness. Encourage them, build them up. Second, conduct, your lifestyle. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, Philippians 1.27. Philippians 1.27, only let your lives be worthy of the gospel of Christ. The way that you live your life, Paul would say in, in the, the book of Titus, he would say, that we need to adorn the gospel. Make the gospel look beautiful by the way that we live. Your behavior, your obedience to Christ needs to be an example to others. Your love, love for God, love for others. 1 John 4, 7 through 8. 1 John 4, 7 through 8. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and God and knows God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. It's having the good of other people in mind. It's that love that we see modeled and called for in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition, right? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's that loving mindset that we need to have an example towards others in as we live our lives as believers. Faith. Not faith as we think about the faith that saves, but faithfulness, loyalty, steadfastness. We, remember, we memorize that verse from Hebrews, right? Hebrews 12, 23, or 10, 23. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. What, what's the next two words? Without wavering, steadfast, rock steady. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. So we need to be steady in our faith, not up and down like, well, I think I'm into Christianity this week. Oh, no, I don't think I'm into Christianity this week. Or, man, I'm so angry at God. I can't believe God would do that to me. And I don't know about this, and I don't know if I'm ready, really wanting to believe all of the word of God, but just some of God. No, we need to be faithful, steadfast, and set an example to others in that. And that's so important because churches are just drifting like crazy on that. Well, we don't need to believe all of God's word. Oh, well, that's a cultural issue. People need to catch up with the times. Marriage is, is whatever we want it to be now. That, that was just the culture at that time. What are you going to do in response to that? Are you going to stay steadfast? Or are you going to drift? Purity. Purity. 1 Thessalonians 4. 
1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 3, I believe it is, where Paul says, this is the will of God. This is the will of God. How many of you have ever said, man, I wish I knew what God's will was for my life? 1 Thessalonians 4.3, this is the will of God. Your sanctification, your holiness, your Christ-likeness. And then he goes on and he defines that specifically because this is one of the greatest threats to that Christ-likeness. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality, that you get rid of it, that you do like Jesus instructed us and chop off the hand and throw it from you, that you flee from sexual immorality, that you put it away from you. Set others an example. Set the believers an example in those things. So as you think about this list, there, it's a, a spiritual inventory for us. It's another opportunity for us to hold our lives up to the word of God and go, okay, so how am I doing here? How am I doing as an example in the speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity? Where do I need to shore up my defenses? Where do I need to excel still more? I want you guys to memorize this verse this week. 1 Timothy 4.12. I should have memorized this verse this week and I want you to take that grid and, and, and I want you to daily look at that grid and say, okay, Lord, I, at the beginning of the day, I want you to pray through that list. Say, Lord, I want to grow in each of these areas. Add those things to your personal prayer list for yourself during the, the, the day and start off your day with, with that prayer. God, I want you to be doing these things in my life, growing me in these areas. And then at the end of your day, I want you to look back on your day and say, okay, Lord, how did I do in these areas? You may have people in your life who are your spiritual heroes. Again, people you look at and you go, man, I want to be like that person. I want to imitate their faith, their devotion to the Lord, their love for other people. But you have to recognize that their effectiveness as a spiritual hero first came because they've got a rock-solid relationship with the Lord devotionally. Their private relationship with, with God is the foundation and the bedrock for what you see publicly. So if you want what you see publicly, you've got to be working on what you don't see behind the scenes. And making sure that those things line up. This is what Paul had done for Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.10. 2 Timothy 3.10, he says, You, Timothy, however, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my faithfulness, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. And now Paul was writing to Timothy and saying, It's your turn. It's your turn, Timothy. Let no one despise you for your youthfulness. Don't buy into the stereotype. Don't be the stereotype, Timothy. Break the mold. Set others an example. Set others an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. There is no such thing as a spiritual sideline in Christianity. You're never going to be taken out of the game. You're never put in a, a holding pattern. There's, there's no practice squad for Christianity waiting for the call-up to the, the actual game time. No, you guys are, are on the field right now. You are in, if you are, are, are saved, if Jesus is your Savior, you have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit who's equipping you to do work, to do ministry. And so now is not some time to kind of coast through until you graduate and, or until you get married or until you finish your degree or until whatever, you get this job, that job. No, now's the time to start going after it. Now's the time to start serving. Now's the time to start being that contributor because that's what God is calling you to. That's what his expectation is. And his expectation blows away anybody else's expectation, no matter what the stereotype may be. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for a text like this, for the encouragement, to, the, the challenge to go out and, and get after it, God. I pray that each student in this room would feel that 
not burden, God, but that desire to go out and be used by you to, to serve the church, to go out and use the, the giftedness that you have given them, that you've equipped them with, to be somebody that's contributing, that's attending, that's there, that's present, that's connecting with other people, Lord, that's serving you. God, may we be examples in the way that we live our lives, in our speech, in our conduct, in our faith, in our love, in our purity. Lord, may we set that tone. May we be the pace setters for others to follow after us, God. And may we be faithful in doing that, God, until you come back or until you call us home. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.